0: So hi Jürgen. I think you are one of the few guests where I can pronounce your first name hopefully correctly.
1: <laughs> yes, you are doing it correctly. <laughs> Very good.
0: So. so, but now uh back to the you know series of uh of today. So, what was your first computer?
1: My first computer uh was
0: a C64. Oh, wow. So, pretty advanced one. What did you do with it? You start gaming or um,
1: yeah, I had been like seven years old, <laughs> so it was like uh, play, playing right. all the old games and having a little bit of uh, uh, how was it called? Logo, the the word, as uh, the the word processor uh, they had back in the day.
0: Not word processor. Uh, the logo was the turtle, right?
1: The Logo was no, nah, not sure. There was this uh, where we, we had a mouse and everything, and you could write some small text. and My father was into this uh, kind of stuff, but yeah, for me at the time, it was like playing games on floppy disks <laughs> okay. and uh, these things.
0: <laughs> so you kept gaming, or you did something sensible, or sensible something different with C sixty four.
1: No, no I, I've never gotten over the stage of gaming. So, I, as I came of the age to to really do something with computers, uh, it was much much later. So, it had been at the time of PCs and uh, desktop computers.
0: Okay. Yeah. So you so you got the C sixty four. What was your next machine?
1: Uh, uh, pff, uh t- two uh, uh t- two eighty six or okay. something like this. Okay. And uh. Later, then the next thing then came to a four eighty six, then a Pentium one hundred or two hundred, something like this, and uh, move from uh, yeah DOS to Windows.
0: And and what was your first uh, machine you started programming? So what was it the the four eighty six?
1: No, my, my first machine I really started programming uh, was around eight, as I had been around eighteen years old. Uh, was a little bit of uh, PHP, and uh, uh, not PHP basic. Uh, at the time, and uh, it was with a, it was at Pentium times.
0: Okay, and why you started? So why you didn't just kept playing or gaming?
1: Uh, good question. Uh, how did I start? So I, I always was interested in how the computers worked, so I started building my own computer, so I got into the thing part where I, I started to, okay, how how what, how is it working, what I'm doing there? And uh, basically, my brother uh, had been a little bit into it uh, before me, uh, he's a couple of years older, and uh, he introduced me to programming. And I have to admit, I started really programming for real uh, as I started studying.
0: Yeah, but why? I mean, with the PHP, okay. So, uh, so there was nothing you you did something, but without you know how to call it the right mood, and then you started pro, uh, studying, right? Computer science.
1: Yes, and uh, this was like um, I I always felt I I wanted to do something. With computers okay. at the time, uh, I already had a feeling for how things worked, and uh, yeah, this was reason how I, uh, why why I then started. Okay, I want to do something with real, really right programs and software, mm-hmm. and uh, but I had no clue what I'm doing what I have been doing at the time, so, <laughs> so and, it came so, much later.
0: And which programming language you started with?
1: Uh, actually, I, I really, the, the, the first programming language I used for real until today is Java. Huh. <laughs> so I really started with Java, doing good and real stuff and uh, stick to it.
0: Okay, and, and which version was it, you remember?
1: But, uh, Java uh, 1.5, I believe. Oh, no, one, yeah, 1.5 at the time.
0: This is almost impossible because you started with C64, then you had... PC, and then you started studying. Java five was really this was like two thousand five, maybe.
1: Yeah, I started uh, two thousand three. Ah, okay, that's possible because uh, so,
0: two thousand three there was yeah, there was Java five, Java six. This is very possible. Yeah. So, so yeah, so, junior, so a young man. Yeah, relatively yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, okay. So, very good. <laughs> But you are over eighteen, so we can freely talk about programming now, right? So there's no yeah, restriction. Definitely, definitely, yeah, very good. Uh, <laughs> but uh, with Java five, uh, this is a little bit cheating because you you already had annotations and all the modern stuff was already available.
1: Uh, yeah, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> very good. But uh, at the time, I didn't really know about uh, annotations. Came much later that I realized what annotations can do for me.
0: Um, And what was your reaction to Java? You liked it immediately or was it like strange feeling or remember that? Question. I haven't
1: really thought about it uh, till now. So I kind of felt at home right from the start, I believe. So the the whole concept of object-oriented programming uh, had been clear to me from the start. Mm and um, Yeah. And I, the the good thing was, uh, as I started studying, uh, while studying, we always had a practical part uh, where we had been working in companies. So uh, it really helped that I always had real life projects uh, to learn with. Mm -hmm. Um, So it was always clear to me why I do things the way I need to do them. Okay, uh, because I I never really programmed. In my own flat, only for my own enjoyment. Uh, so I already, as I always, had people around me that, that helped me along and uh, mm-hmm. showed me the way how to do things, uh, which yeah, I'm
0: really glad about. Um, and and where you st- um where, where you started in which city? Uh, Jena. Ah, okay, and it was nice.
1: No, well, I'm still living in Jena, so uh, I love the city. <laughs> yeah, and uh, also the the environment we have here. Especially regarding the software engineering part.
0: Yeah, exactly. Uh, There's a very famous uh, entrepreneur guy. I forgot the, the 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 guy who started the company. It was not Jena, was it? Oh, it what, what, which do you mean? There were uh, uh, Jena Glass, right? This was the the uh, very uh, yes. famous company.
1: Yes, guy. yeah. We we have two two big parts here in Jena. The one is it's also called uh, Optical Valley <laughs> a bit yeah. because we have Carl Zeiss and Jena Glass and Schott and and so on um and also then the software part came with the yeah the, the e-commerce bubble intershop, around this time right the intershop, intershop yes and uh, out of intershop came like, lots of other companies around e-business
0: and uh, what what was the guy behind intershop he was like you know
1: Uh, The guy behind Intershop. um,
0: He was at the uh, the TV all the time. He was like, you know, the poster child of German e-commerce, new economy. Yeah,
1: uh, well, Stefan Schambach is his name. Uh, Exactly. Actually, he studied, I believe, pharmaceuticals or something like this. Uh Uh, So nothing really software related. Um, Not quite sure how he came to doing what he was doing. I, I believe he... Was like, also, it was also been affinitive to computers and started a company uh, where they sold computers at first. And uh, at a certain point, they started developing the first web shop with Pearl at the time. Exactly. Uh, and it started off at a certain point. And well, the is still around. Uh, <laughs> yeah, So because
0: Stefan Schambach, uh, exactly. And um, I had a chat on the Airhex FM with someone and I forgot the name of the inter-shop. Uh, it was actually the... Um, about deep nets, and he also started an e-commerce in Slovenia, I think, uh, e-commerce company, and said, okay, we had a Germ- German counterpart, but I forgot the name, and this is actually Intershop, exactly. And uh, what what I did, uh, uh, we created Java Competitor for Intershop. This was this was funny, because uh, the Intershop was uh, Perl-based or PHP-based, uh, and uh, back That's then it was, right. yeah, And back then, um, you know, Java was, uh, everything had to start with J, and Java was the thing. So, we created a small uh, e-commerce solution based on Java. So, therefore, and I actually, yeah, exactly. I meant yeah, Jena Glass and and Intershop, they were both nice uh, or nice, uh, very famous companies from, or are very famous companies from Jena. And Intershop should be still around. Uh, So, I've looked up.
1: Yeah, Intershop still is. Uh, We now have a couple of uh, agencies or uh, agenturen, not quite sure Mm -hmm. what the best agencies, Yeah, agencies that are working with uh, or providing e-commerce services uh, that are actually larger than than Intershop
0: itself. <laughs> okay. Nowadays. Okay. So, uh, so uh, uh, and um, so you started with Java. What was your first application? A little bit more interesting or yeah. Uh,
1: so the, the first application I totally wrote. Uh, for the trash and uh, by myself, uh, for for my uh, company at the time was a um, yeah timesheet tool. Uh-huh. Uh This was where I made all of the mistakes you can do as a starter. Ah, very good. <laughs> so <laughs> having uh, constructors with thousands of lines of code and things like this because really? I had no idea what I was doing at the time. Uh, and the next thing was then the, the company I worked afterwards for uh, they had had a was. Um, from old Intershop guys uh, that uh, founded their own company, they had an e- uh, eBay connector at the time, so okay. you could automatically sell your your uh, fr- products from your shop uh, over eBay. So with all the management and uh, communication.
0: Oh wow! For, for Intershop, so
1: interesting, and, and, and you did. Yeah, it was not for Intershop. It was it was working with nearly every
0: shop system. Okay. And you wrote it in Java.
1: Yeah, they wrote it in Java. It was Tomcat based? Where we used. Uh JDO at the time, uh-huh. uh and JSPs and uh well.
0: But JDO is already interesting because it was not that common. So it was more like, you know, specialist tool, JDO, Java data Java data objects, right?
1: Yeah. So and um, it was, was quite interesting because the, the the next companies that I worked for and uh, somebody came wrote, yeah, here's JPA and this is totally cool and so on and like, Yeah, it's the same like JDO.
0: <laughs> yeah, because so JPA had, had more state to manage. What I remember you No, know, JPA was like uh, it is attached or detached, and in JDO there are multiple states you could have an object. Uh, you know, yeah, it was it's, like
1: and it's quite a long time ago. I don't really remember the details. Yeah, I have but to you remember, which, it, so.
0: was it Codo? Properly, you use Codo, right? Implementation.
1: Uh, no, TJDO, I believe it was TJDO,
0: called. okay. Mm-hmm.
1: Ah. Okay, so nice. I'm not mistaken.
0: <laughs> so um, so this was the, the the second project, so this was already enterprise. Was it during your university time or after?
1: Yes, uh, this was oh. during my university time. Uh, then they switched to another company uh, where we built mobile apps. Uh, uh-huh. We had, at the time, the first app store before app stores ever uh, existed on all J2ME devices. Um, okay. Yeah, I did a little bit of uh, front-end, also uh, mobile development. Uh, there, realized relatively quickly that I'm not the front-end guy; I'm more the backend guy. Uh, so I switched to the to the backend part.
0: Because everything was um, pink, or what?
1: <laughs> nah, no, it just like uh, they, they put in a pixel here, a pixel there.
0: Um, okay.
1: At a certain point, I told my uh, um, my boss uh, at the time, "So if I have to build another web page, I will change the company." <laughs> then he never gave me another UI <laughs> assignment. <laughs> Um so yeah, so did, this was the time where I really gotten into the to the backend part. Uh they had an own web shop with uh not Springer, how is it called this um Struts uh okay. at the time. Uh we had uh Tomcat backend for our apps and mm-hmm. for the the App Store. Uh then we had another backend then later on for um within J- JE server the uh no no Jebus uh, uh Geronimo Glass-boss. J uh, Apache uh, how was it called Tommy No no Tommy the the precursor to Tommy Geronimo Geronimo yes
0: mm-hmm. I've been using at the time Oh know. this is this is strange because Geronimo was re- really rare so almost no one used Geronimo So you are no, not- you, you always used exotic projects like you know JDO Geronimo
1: I, I was always somebody else um, started the whole thing, and uh, I jumped into the projects much later.
0: So I wanted to use Geronimo, but it was always hard to handle. The problem was with the modules; installation was uh, everything was way too complicated and too strange. So I actually, because in one point of time Geronimo was supported by IBM, so it could be an interesting option. But I never had the chance, to, or I, I didn't wanted to use it actually, and, and I never, you know, recommended Geronimo to. To somebody,
1: uh, not sure why my colleague decided to use this one. I can't really remember. Okay. So it was, but it worked. Well, it did its job uh, nicely and greatly. So I hadn't really have a comparison to like JBoss or okay. other uh, servers. So later on, uh, we worked then on. as in the JE times, I uh, worked for a private project with GlassFish. Nice uh, for another customer. We then use JBoss. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah. The concepts has always that been similar.
0: Uh, yeah. Thus, I never really had.
1: And you still started. so was
0: it afterwards. So you uh, during your study you did all the you no know, Java e work. But uh,
1: I also, as I finished with my studying, I was working with the Tomcat and the Geronimo okay. part, and afterwards then came the oh we have a, I had a WebSphere project in between as well. Mm-hmm. Um,
0: okay. Yeah, the WebSphere Classic was slow. This was the you know a huge server. Yeah,
1: it was in this case it was embedded in uh WebSphere Commerce.
0: Okay. No, no, no experience with that. So I only have the experience with the big one, and this was, it was slow. Okay. So after the uh, after your study, you started to work as a consultant for companies, or.
1: At a certain point, I uh, decided I might be able to do things better. I was a little bit blue-eyed as I uh, started my own company and uh, had a few product ideas at first, but realized I'm not really... Product development guy, as in the sense of the business development for a product. So I, uh, at some point, I had to earn money. Okay. <laughs> so I uh, went into into consulting. Uh, this was the the WebSphere Commerce project uh, I've ended up in. This was my first real project uh, around this. Then um, yeah, and over time I started acquiring my first employee and my first projects, and uh, so the the focus switched from the yeah, normal consulting to doing in house projects or uh, yeah, supporting our customers in a more embedded manner, so to speak.
0: So, 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 the first company was just extended to be a consulting company, or you, or you shut down the first company and started a new one.
1: Yeah, I've always kept uh, the the company as a, a construct.
0: Okay, um, proxy.
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah, as a proxy. So my my company is named Data in Motion, and uh, we are around since 2010.
0: Oh you have to pick uh, up on data and motion okay uh
1: uh-huh. yeah yeah so uh, now with a couple more employees and uh yeah
0: i didn't knew that so uh, how many how how much how many uh, how much employees do you have uh currently we are six Primo. okay
1: so we are quite specialized we already, uh realize that at some point uh, we we do more uh, have a technical focus and not that much on the business side so we have customers from uh traffic information systems medical uh, public entities. Uh, one of our current customers is uh, building mass spectrometers. Okay. Uh, so we have a relatively broad uh, range of uh, we we do from the business side because technically it's usually the same <laughs> what okay. you're doing there. But the problems they have are similar.
0: So, so what I understood, you started your company Data in Motion and tried to create a product, but you failed. Then you started to creating a consulting a company with the same name, Data in Motion, and then you stick yeah. with, until now. Okay.
1: Yeah, that's basically the, the rough, <laughs> the, the rough thing. Okay.
0: So, and what was your first project with Data in Motion? Was it like e-commerce or what? What was it?
1: Uh, no, the first uh, in-house project, so to speak, where we didn't do a real consulting, uh, was we built an extension for. Um, but how is it called? Uh, a statistics tool for the Bundesamt für Risikobewertung, Aha. Uh, where they...
0: This uh, is this, uh, G- uh, German, this would be like like the uh, Bundesamt would be like the Agency for Risk Management or Risk Estimation, risk, right? Risk, so, uh,
1: risk Assessment. Uh, assessment, mm-hmm. And they, they used uh, an open source statistics tool to build, uh, to, to model how... Um, how food processes uh, worked and how bacterias would uh, develop inside this. So okay. like you uh, you take a piece of meat, take it out of the freezer and the freezer had been at six degrees. Then you have it laying on your table for like 10 minutes. And then you took it to your frying pan so on mm-hmm. and so forth. And they had statistical models, how things would uh, develop there. And it was the time at uh, uh, EHEC. So this, uh, uh, and then in the end they can say, okay, if something could survive the, the process, for example.
0: Okay, uh, that's uh, actually already interesting. What interests me before we start, you know, to discussing your your projects, um, you had some products of ideas, but they failed. What do you wanted to 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 build actually?
1: Um, now, my product, the, the one product idea, I really uh, invested time into was uh, uh, called Smart Cove. Uh, the idea had been to to have something like these comparison uh, sites you have for products uh, for online products, but for offline products. Mm-hmm. Meaning, if you decide, hey, I want to, I need a new camera or something like this, uh, you, you roughly know what you want, and you could search for it and uh, see, hey, you can get Media Markt, uh, Walmart, mm-hmm. or whatever. This is the price, it is available, and so on and so forth. So, did you had a central point where you could say, where can I get what I need right now, so, or where can I buy it in a
0: store? Yeah, but there are already like a couple of websites right now which are doing this, right?
1: Yeah, but it was 10 years ago. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, but why, why it wasn't
0: successful? I mean, because...
1: That, um, I, the whole thing was, uh, from the technical perspective, it's not at all.
0: So something like this, uh, but the
1: biggest problem at the time at procuring the data. So where are things available? Uh, most companies kind of had this data, but there hadn't been any APIs then uh, you needed to, to really uh, invest in people running around trying to acquire companies like MediaMarkt and, and so on to, to give you the data. <laughs> um, and uh, most of the potential investors say it's too much effort. And uh, I guess in, in in the U.S., the thing had, could have run easier because people tend to, hey, that's a good idea. Google, like, here you have my money, <laughs> just yeah. do something with it. Uh, in Germany, people are much more skeptical uh, yeah. towards.
0: Something. But you could uh, have a, 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 a side scraper or HTML scraper, which you know, understands the structure and scrape the data. This is what you could do back then, right?
1: Yeah, this this would have been a possibility. So, the, Like I said, I went been alone at the time and uh, didn't find anybody who gave me enough money for it to really get started. I had a prototype which showed the whole, the whole thing, uh, I was t- had been talking to a, g- a few companies at the time uh, if they would would be interested as a local companies to to give me their their information and uh, yeah but this is where it got stuck so I, okay, I still believe know, in the well, idea but I never gotten around to to follow up on it. And
0: <clears throat> read, uh, but all all the approaches right now they are scraping the websites actually so what they are doing they are you now trying to 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 Get the public information and combine it. This is what I know. I think the companies would never expose the data directly to you. I would say it is harder.
1: Yeah, this uh, this might be a point. So this is also what uh, most of the uh, yeah had been afraid of that this would not be the case. So yeah. Um,
0: so good, um, but you know your first uh, project. S- it sounds even more interesting what you did with the meal and with the data. So there was uh, almost uh, data analysis. So it was almost a little bit AI, almost, right? What you did. I mean, you could actually use AI right now to to yeah, the
1: AI, yeah, but AI is a little uh, a bit of higher statistics.
0: <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, but but I mean, uh, if you if you would, you know, you could have if you have statistical data, you can just try to predict whether you know the meal is infected or not. Or not, right?
1: Yeah, but at the time we, we didn't build the models for it. We just gave them the tooling to implement ah. their models. Mm-hmm. So this was uh, it was a little bit like a graphical MATLAB, as well, to okay. so to speak. So they can could pull as well, uh, put together pipelines of uh, data processors and and um, their their parameters into it. Uh, we had another company that uh, took care of the statistical side of the things, and uh, yeah, we only put it into the technical things for the the, the, the client okay uh that, that's been behind yeah, this
0: tool. okay so, so and from there you you stick with projects like that where you analyze data and try to
1: no control. no no, no like, like i said we uh, had a broad range so the, the next three project we did was for the university um, hospital in in Jena, uh where we supported uh, them with um it was called like uh, video supported therapy, meaning uh, in the, um, uh, when you go to the head doctor, uh, how is it called? Uh, I'm missing the word here. The psychologists uh, if you're sitting with a psychologist and in, in the clinic they the, the psychologists are listening to you and making notes and when they want to share information or want to ask uh, other uh colleagues for for what they think about something they they only could talk about what the um what they had in their notes and the idea had been when you have a ter- therapy session there is a um, uh, surveillance camera and they could start it with an app and say hey okay now I st- uh, record the session and then they could mark uh, certain events like hey child is crying uh, and things like this and then they could show it to their colleagues later on to for, for their documentation purposes so this was the next thing we did uh, build Pro uh, for, uh, for a customer afterwards we had a project where we uh, uh, created a logistics platform
0: but this is interesting uh, so if the video was recorded you have to you know to add the, the the time points there was some metadata involved so it was interesting right
1: Exactly so we basically we, we parsed the video stream or we, we took the video stream from this uh, surveillance cameras which had been a little, little bit special and then uh, put our markers next to it so we could jump to the to the uh, points in time um, We did an RCP application with it where you could have your your patient uh, data in and so uh, and then you could yeah, had your file or a patient file where you saw all the sessions and yeah, could jump through it.
0: And um, yeah, and you did it with Java, so you parsed the video information. Yeah. Wow!
1: Yeah, we yes, we did it. As we, we, also I tried to use the the common f- uh, libraries for it, uh, but at a certain point I realized I uh, or I, I couldn't really get them to work correctly. Uh, so I parsed the video stream itself to find uh, when somebody stops uh, uh, a stream to to really stop at the last frame and not in the middle of the next frame uh, from the streaming side of things. And uh, we used VLC, uh, an mm-hmm. embedded VLC player to show the videos. Um, and all this had been embedded in a, an Eclipse RCP application.
0: And was so it hard, so hard to parse you, the video stream with Java? Not really.
1: So okay. I, I didn't really look at the video itself. I only looked at the... Uh, the key points where they said okay here's a frame starting a keyframe is starting a keyframe is ending. Okay. Um so this was what I was looking at uh, at the time. So
0: so nice. When was it roughly? Which year?
1: Uh, this had been like 2011, 2012, something around okay. so it was
0: yeah. Almost more than times, uh, so I would say. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. <laughs> With RCP. So. so okay, and uh, and and okay, so this is what you mean by in house project. So yeah, I always uh, told, you know, I'm also consulting, but sometimes I do also in-house projects. So now now I know it. <laughs> so I'm consulting, yeah. doing some projects yeah, it, in-house and get, get to my clients this is actually, okay.
1: Yeah, so and, and nowadays we, we have a, a mixed bag of services. So we do this like in-house projects, we, uh, as we call it. And also we do yeah, consulting with customers where we get around and not really building projects for them. We more support them in their um, to. To help them along in their development processes, so what yeah. should they need to change? Uh, what needs to be refactored in order to get rid of all the technical depth? Uh, help them uh, streamlining their development process itself, supporting them with additional tooling or modifying tooling, uh, especially around Eclipse, uh, if they need things there. Okay. Um, so this is another we yeah, are branch uh, we are having.
0: Yeah, and you told yeah. me if you find OSGI, you always tell your clients to remove it, so it's going easier, right? This was this the idea. Yes, yeah, definitely. definitely. <laughs> <laughs> no. Uh, no. <laughs>
1: with, with the the first project where we had to use uh, Eclipse RCP, uh, we, I kind of fell in love with OSGI over the time. Uh, I hated the tooling, but I I loved the concept behind it. Mm-hmm. Um, and we reached a certain point where we we built these. And uh, this was the um, the the project for the uh, the university clinic um where we had our front end part in rcp because this was mm-hmm. at the time the the only solution we saw feasible with a real rich client and there was something, okay now we have we need a backend to communicate with so, and then at some point we realized it would be great if we could reuse code we use in the front end also in the backend Mm So we have our bundles, and most of the enterprise servers at the time had been OSGI underneath. And we were like, okay, why do we have to deploy now an EIAR or a WAR? Mm -hmm. Uh, Why can't we just deploy our bundles? Mm -hmm. Uh, Because nobody exposed their OSGI uh, Mm -hmm. framework to the outside world. Mm -hmm. Um, And we stumbled upon a project called Gyrex. It was a full OSGI server at the time uh where we could just throw in the bundles we already had right our additional bundles and then yeah we had been <laughs> happy with uh, what we got there interestingly it, it turned out the project had also been developed uh in in Jena <laughs> uh yeah but it was a full eclipse uh, runtime project at the time and uh, yeah this is when we started using OCI also on the back end uh.
0: But uh, Glassfish also support, supported uh, OSGI at the backend, right?
1: There was, uh, you, it, there was an at the time an unofficial API. Uh, okay. We learned about much later. Okay. Uh, but all the public uh, information that I we stumbled around, uh, upon had been like, hey, yeah, no, you you can't. <laughs> so <laughs> also, there was no real uh, tutorial how to do things like this, or the, the resources to told us what we would have uh, could been done, doing. So.
0: Okay, okay. Then I understood. Uh, this makes sense. If you have, um, because you know, Eclipse RCP requires requires you to write bundles, and if you already have the bundles, you can run them on the server. Just you know, it's a very efficient way to reuse your code. And uh, then you you know try to find a server. What was the name of the server? Uh, Gyrex. Jirex, and uh, so you could run your frontend bundles as. Uh, I suppose were just libraries, like you know, share algorithms yeah, I mean, or validation, like, like logic, part, logic like parts in the backend, yeah. which is uh, great. I mean, this is what also we try to attempt to use. You know, with JavaScript for validation, we also run parts of the JavaScript in the backend. Yeah, um,
1: yeah and mm-hmm. the other thing we we had been doing uh, or are still doing till today is uh, we are using uh, the Eclipse Modeling Framework. Sure F- yeah, Yes, EMF. Uh, so we model all our entities with EMF. We have a persistence layer to write it into a MongoDB. Uh, we can use it, and on the API side, uh, so we could use the same objects everywhere, in the front end, in the back end, and uh, yeah, this, this was the other part. I
0: uh, actually you used EMF with GMF. This was the uh, diagram. Yes, uh, yeah. diagram part. And then used, I think, Open Architecture to generate code from EMF because EMF was the meta model. And you can yep. generate from the uh, EMF uh, Java classes, which you can use as an input for code generation. So I actually yes. spent some time with EMF, GMF, and data generation with Eclipse. And um, yeah, it worked well. It was not OSGI involved at all. It was just, you know, an. Um,
1: yeah, you can use EMF uh, itself. So when you use the standard EMF code generator, it will create an Eclipse plugin out as a, with it if you want. Mm-hmm. So you can deactivate it naturally. Um, but it, it did not require really OSGI, and what it was doing besides putting in some metadata in the manifest uh, has been OSGI itself. So it has been the extension model of Eclipse, yes. Mm-hmm. But this is not really OSGI. That's
0: yeah. the thing. Okay, so you're still using this. This is interesting because um, what I see is that Eclipse gets a little bit less popular right now than it was a few years ago. So just my my observation. Or it it gets more popular because it works behind the scenes for Visual Studio Code. So if you're using Visual Studio Code, Eclipse is running behind the scenes actually.
1: Yeah, so I I have to admit I never really gave what kind of idea I'm using. So mm-hmm. I started out with IntelliJ uh, and later switched to Eclipse because mm-hmm. uh, the EMF part is that the tooling is all Eclipse based. Uh, I've tried to use Visual Studio Code uh, as well, but I know Eclipse. I know what to do there, so I stick to Eclipse. And uh, if I have another project where I need to do use something else, then I use something else. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't really understand this emotional way people defend their ide because each ide if it's NetBeans, if it's intellij has its pros and cons and uh, i i use the tool which is appropriate for what i need to do
0: but Um, there's no 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 such a thing i think like defending so for me it's like you know if i'm a consultant i have to work together with someone And the only thing is, if I I cannot introduce commercial IDEs easily to companies which don't have them, right? This is the problem because if you have if you have IntelliJ, and they are not using IntelliJ, they won't buy IntelliJ just because you have it as a consultant. So
1: you have to. Yeah, but we really had with customers that uh, where we. Told them what we would, how we would build the whole things, and what the advantages of all these things is with the model-driven development, and so on and so forth. And people had been rejecting the thing because they couldn't do it with IntelliJ at the time.
0: Oh, so they were like,
1: "No, I, we, we will not do this, even if the process is much better. But uh, we, we 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 want to write our models with IntelliJ or plant UML or whatever. So if we can't do it with this, then we won't do it, basically.
0: <laughs> so." Yeah, uh, but but Yeah, but with Eclipse, you will just get the editor. It has nothing to do with the development, right? So um,
1: I I didn't understand it either why people had been so hesitant to use a certain tool chain because they couldn't use their favorite uh, IDE with it. Yeah, mm-hmm, so okay. It's, um,
0: interesting. So yeah, but your OSGI use is more like you had to use OSGI because you used Eclipse, right? It's not like you are an OSGI. Fanboy, because of the sake of HGI, uh, you you were forced to use HGI because you got Eclipse, and there was some okay. If you have Eclipse on HGI, no, I
1: got so that to, I have to uh, reformulate uh, what I said. We, I, I started out using OCI in the context of Eclipse, uh, but I'm I'm a fanboy today. <laughs> okay, so because we basically use OSGI nearly everywhere where it's possible.
0: So, okay, server side. So, from now, inside, now it's interesting. So what, what, whatever uh, project we, we do. Because um, I, t- I tell you my story of OSGI. Uh, because um, you ping me at Meetup.com.airhacks, uh, right? You, you wrote yep. me a message, and you said like uh, I'm negative about OSGI. So uh, why you are thinking this? Where I said this? You remember
1: this? No, no. I, I had a feeling. I, I heard the podcast, your last podcast on modularization, with somebody uh, I also couldn't pronounce the name uh, from um, Payara. Uh... Yes, the guy, the guy from Payara. And uh, you you talked about modules and how modules are necessary and useful and where it's useful and so on. And uh, it was always, yeah, OSGI uh, is an implementation of modules, but it's too complicated, was what I've gotten
0: out of it. Yeah, then I can refine that. What happened to me is, uh, maybe at the same time where you were active with uh, OSGI, uh, Eclipse RCP RCP was very popular. So we were forced to use Eclipse RCP, Without a reason, and before Eclipse RCP, we used Swing, which was fine. Okay. So, but uh, in the Swing there were no modules because we didn't we didn't need needed them. So uh, there was no there, there were no modules because there was no requirement. It's not like in your case where you are seeing that something is replaceable. In our case, it was no a few use cases. There was not a product, a simple project. We delivered that and it's done. So I suspect in most iOS apps or Android apps there are also no modules. It's just one application, and that's basically it. Yeah. So, um, and then Eclipse came, and uh, and then you know I'm, I was often the uh, external architect, and there were internal architects, and they wanted to have modules for the sake of having modules. So they asked me, you know, uh, why my code is so monolithic? So yeah, because I cannot imagine, you know, what is the the idea of uh, if there is no or how to call it, there is no concept, no visible concept in a business of a module. For me, I cannot, I cannot imagine of anything which can be swapped or replaced in the project. I cannot just build modules to have fun with modules, right? And, um, and uh, in one project, um, they, they just insisted on a module. Then I told them, then give me a number and I will create you know, the amount of modules you, you like. And we will spend you know, one day... To, to, for your module, and this is what we will pay, uh, bill you—you you know, uh, ten days more for ten modules—and um, in other projects with Eclipse RCP, we got a problem. We created everything with modules, and then the business department find out that uh, Eclipse is modular, and actually, the users are now able to load uh, plugins and deactivate plugins. And I remember it was Eclipse 3, 3.0, and but back then it was impossible. To deactivate the plugin system in Eclipse, so we had to know to hack it around to uh, deactivate the plugin system at runtime, so that the end users are not allowed, you know, to play with the modules. And for me, it was OSGI. Is a is a great if you have a problem. In my business projects, there was not always a concept of a module, so it it was not helpful. And with the OSGI, everything became more complicated without any added value to the business. This is the thing. But the same story today, I had a discussion with JPMS, Java Module System, and I have to admit it's the same story. So for I like JPMS a little bit more, but in my microservice projects, there are no modules. So we have just you know one code base and we ship everything and I don't see the point of having a module. And yeah.
1: Okay. Uh, um, the two parts... To, to this so the, the one thing that is the, the basic concept of modularity so what do you need it for or what, yeah. what's the, the use behind it yeah, um, exactly in in uh, my opinion it's um, as a, it's a matter of what kind of what, what how, how are you used to doing things so modularity itself is relatively hard so mm-hmm. from the concept side yeah. because you you have to think in boundaries uh, and you have to think okay what does my module need? Uh, what does it provide and so on and so forth um what uh what one can do it what but it's not really necessary so if you don't really have a use case where you say i have i need a plug-in model or something like this so then you can say i just don't, will not do it with it um, what i've realized uh over especially in long-term projects uh if you have a modular system you define boundaries uh, for certain functionalities so and you can have like this is what they currently nowadays want to do with microservices mm-hmm. and you have a team that takes exactly. care of a certain functionality. So, um, but you you always have the same thing also in smaller teams. So you always have your, your experts for certain areas. Uh, and regardless of what you're doing when you use object oriented programming with packages and Java, you will always create implicit models, exactly. uh, modules by just, okay, you define a via package or something mm-hmm. like this. Mm-hmm. So it. it you basically already are doing it, but just not putting it in own jars. Exactly. So the, the concept of putting it all in different jars is one can do it. One does not really necessarily need to do it. Uh, but what I've realized in especially in projects that are really running over a long time, um, if you don't have this concept and nobody to enforce this concept of hey stick inside from of certain boundaries. Mm-hmm. Uh, projects will become messy and the yeah. technical debt will pile up and so on and so forth. And if you have a good modular system uh, and some way of enforcing certain things in, inside this, this uh, framework, uh, the code can, not will, it's not, no guarantee, uh, but it, it will make life easier in the long run. Mm-hmm. So, because people usually, f- I, I've uh, seen the tendency for, mo- for most developers, uh, just get get the job done. So, regardless of what it takes, and the result of this is that uh, yeah a, a prototype never stays a prototype, and things get become more complicated over time, and in the end, you get a real mess of codes uh, which is hard to to decouple mm-hmm. to to refactor and, and things like
0: this. We've done an, um, uh, another episode, of AXfM with Professor Matthias Jurich, and uh, he's about modularization, and uh, what uh, what I focus more is on the you know, logical modules. So for me, the packages are very important. So the package yep. naming, class naming, and stuff like that. And the physical modularization, I don't like it because it comes with additional overhead. And I would like to see an evidence, business evidence on something more you know, uh, to it to say, okay, now it's crystal clear why we need such a module. And uh, OGI um, is an idea, or microservice is another one. So we could have both, right? So Or w- whatever. So it is always the idea that uh, we need now a physical separation so that the boundary is even stricter. Because my logical packaging only works in smaller projects. Be- and if you have motivated developers, which always keep the code base clean, right?
1: Yeah. As it was, like, like I said, and then like you said yourself, so you are already modularizing. Yeah. So the physical separation is something uh, the the modern microservice approach where if we put everything in Dockerfile, this is something I totally hate, <laughs> basically. Yeah. Because people just tend to, uh, I, they, they want the advantage of modularization, but they don't really want to think about the implications that brings with it. Exactly. So you have network latency, you have bloated images uh, where everybody pulls and put, just builds smaller mono, mono, uh, monoliths and throws everything in there. And then it's just like, hey, I have 20, five gigabyte large microservices or something like this uh, in the extreme. Um, this is something I, I don't really like. So putting clustering things in smaller jars, uh, however, is something I can, as I, I do every day. Um, and this is something which from, from my perspective helps people seeing what they are doing there. Especially when you have OSGI, the big advantage is with the right tooling, it always tells you and shows you what you are, uh, besides your business logic, what else you require. Yeah. Meaning I have heaps of projects uh, where the result we compile in the end will pull in so many transitive dependencies because nobody really cared about all these things mm-hmm. uh, that you think like, why do I need five or a gigabyte of something uh, or a couple of hundred megabytes of something where i actually only need like 10 megabytes of jars in the end to to run the whole thing
0: and how you version uh, this stuff so do you have uh every plugin has an all comes with an own version or you release everything
1: depends I, so it depends uh, this is um, we have some projects where as we, if you have something like a product uh we also like a product like a uh, project then we uh have simultaneous versions mm-hmm. Uh, for framework things, we version things individually, sometimes down to the uh, package level. So, A plugin
0: level, of, right, or package?
1: No package level. You can even version your packages inside your differently version plugins in OCI mm-hmm. if you want to. You don't have to. Mm-hmm. Uh, for the whole thing, but this is more like when you are building framework parts, then this makes sense. They I, say,
0: didn't, hey, saw, I didn't saw I didn't um, saw OGF for a long time, but what I perform a lots of code reviews and what I see are a Maven module which are a little similar, and uh, if I already see you know microservices as you said uh, hundreds of Maven modules and everything comes with the same version, I ask them why are you doing this? I mean just to in the sake of having you know microservices or what's the entire point? And sometimes there is no explanation. So people are doing just microservices because they are modern. They are thinking, okay, if I'm shipping yep. you know, 100 microservices, everything is getting better, but it's getting worse. So my point is actually, if you would build a monolithic system, let's say monolithic means one Maven module. You put everything to, the, to one project, and then you are forced, you see all the packages in Java. So you are forced to think more about the structure because you see everything in one project but if you have 100 microservices you have you know 100 projects and as you as you said the mess spreads around and no one actually knows what's going on so i think our thinking is similar but my projects are more backend projects right so um, i'm not using eclipse rcp so my microservices is smaller so uh, i can survive longer with my strategy because you know if the logical module becomes too big Uh, What usually happens, it usually means it's responsible for too much, and there is a good use case or business reason to split it into two such monoliths. But uh, in my projects, so I would say we have at most 10 modules, microservices. And this is already a large project, if you think, you know, if you have a, a still running micro profile in EE, so such a microservice, we have maybe 10 to 20, 30 tables. If you have 10 such microservices, it's already 300 tables, which is a mid-range project. So I would say it is not small, but it works well. So I was just curious about your take, because uh, it seems to me uh, we, are, we are thinking about similar things, but your tooling is different because uh, your projects run inside Eclipse RCP.
1: No, we, uh, that this is basically, this is another, uh, I've started working with Eclipse RCP. Okay. Nowadays, we, we have pure OSGI servers. Okay. Don't, which, which don't utilize it. This, this is the other thing. Uh, we got a little bit of sidetracked around the whole module discussion. Uh, in OSGI, we have, so, uh, just, as a little bit of background, uh, I have been, or we as a company have been member of the OCI Alliance at a certain point, okay. writing the specs and things like this. Uh, nowadays, we are, as an OCI Alliance, had gotten dissolved, and we are mo- have moved as a, into a working group in, inside Eclipse. Okay, and uh, I'm the current chair of the OCI Steering Committee.
0: <laughs> oh, and you are nice chair. This is I didn't knew about that because there was another chair and. Um, it, yeah, was, it
1: was Ben Dendera. No, 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 Dembera.
0: before, before, there was one guy, I, if I said something on Twitter, I don't need your modules, he was really angry. I always got to know fire from OSGI community because I was so... Uh, uh, that-
1: there, there's always uh, when you, on, especially on Twitter, if something comes around. The only modularities mentioned there are two yeah, or yeah. three guys. I, I also yeah, see, so, and I, they, they always jump in. Yeah, hey, you should. Do. That's David Moore, no somewhere Moore. I, I'm not sure, uh, but yeah. There, okay, uh, so so
0: I uh, met a nice OSGI guy. You know, this is this is good to know already. Yeah.
1: Uh, so, but uh, what what I wanted to get you is um, the-
0: So you are the chair of OSGI at Eclipse.
1: Of the OCI steering committee, so we have the steering committee, uh-huh. of, for which steers basically the working group, and we have the different projects underneath it, uh, the, especially the specification project, where we then write the specifications in, a, uh, in the Eclipse yeah, this uh, specification process. metal okay.
0: Yeah, very good. So, okay, and and then you are you have you you told me now you, you are running something on the server, right? Yes. So, as a,
1: this is. The, uh, let let me get uh, back to what I uh, wanted to, to uh, lead with. Actually, um, OCI has a marketing problem for for years. So, because as we already said, for modularity there are different approaches, and if you want to do modularity right, you have to think about a lot of things like versions. Uh, do you want dynamics? Do don't you? Uh, do, or do you not want dynamic thing uh, mm-hmm. dynamics in your life? Um, what what are if you have a module, how to define your metadata uh, speaking of uh, what do I provide, what do I require, how to resolve all these issues at runtime at development, and so on and so forth. Most of these issues are somehow uh, every de- also some things every developer has to live with in some way or another if he wants mm-hmm. to use modularity or not so if you have a Maven dependency, you always have to think what are the transitive dependencies um are you still on or are we? I'm still, yeah. I'm on, I'm on. Ah, okay. So because it was just showing me that there's a connection problem. Um, so you have all these things you, you have to think about tooling helps you, uh, a lot in a couple of manners, uh, regardless if you're using OSGI or not. So in. OSGI itself uh, had, at the beginning, uh, the, the first big implementation of OSGI had been Eclipse at the time. I was around Eclipse 3, where some they switched actually, from their own
0: modules. Sun started with OSGI. Yeah, Sun started
1: the whole thing, but uh, at a certain point, Eclipse adopted OSGI as the exactly. system. Exactly, exactly. Or they had their own module system, and uh, you... You, nowadays you still see in Eclipse RCP and the Eclipse in general uh, some remnants of this old module system and a lot of ways they are doing things in Eclipse are not really the OSGI recommended way, so to speak.
0: Yeah, my joke was always, you know, uh, the reference implementation, almost, you know, visible Eclipse. If you load a plugin, you have to restart the entire IDE. To-
1: exactly. So uh, the, the reason for this is two things. The one thing is they, they use their extension point mechanism, mm-hmm. which is a way like the, the service loader a bit, mm-hmm. uh, where you aesthetically read when a new bundle comes around, oh, yeah, this might provide an extension point, and then we'll do something for you. Mm-hmm. Um Nowadays we have the, the, it's called declarative services. So it registers services for you, activates and deactivates them, uh, injects all the dependencies and only activates your service when all the dependencies are available. Uh, like it's, it's really comfortable. So it, it basically works as in real life because you can only start your data, your EJB, for example, which works with a database when the data, has, uh, um, the data source is available. Mm-hmm. So, and this is what it's basically doing. Uh, for you in a quite comfortable manner and without needing to restart anything. Mm-hmm. Um, and Eclipse, thus, there is the Eclipse uh, PDE, the plugin development environment, which is doing all the things you require for OSGI basically manually. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you have to write your own manifest and so on and so forth. And nowadays, it's I would say it's not possible for a human to write a decent. Manifest because no. there are so many things that needs considering. It's
0: you can tweak it, but you need tooling to create it. For Absolutely, you. because the format alone, you know, with all the list of the dependencies, you cannot mm-hmm. write it. I mean, this is uh, this is worse than Python. Yeah, <laughs> and, and,
1: and, and this is what I, I was uh, struggling with all these things uh, uh, as well, and this is why uh, many of the. Most people I know that had bad, bad experience with OCI had been have this bad experience because they had to been forced to use the, the PDE. So, no, because for me it was
0: not been... about the experience. It's about it was overhyped and people who didn't understood what OSGI is about forced us all on um, lots of projects That's- to use to use OSGI without a reason. And then we, we had a lots of modules, but there was no concept. And, and no one knew what to do with it. Should we release it at once or not? And, and, I, it, it, you know? and this is the thing. So
1: nowadays, so this is this is the, the, the old times. Um, nowadays, we have the tooling to do all the analysis for you to build the right modules and things like this. And the reason why I build, uh, use a lot of modules in my project is uh, at development time, I never have to restart my server.
0: Yeah. Wait a so, Which
1: is a real, real benefit. This is something you don't really, you rarely need in production time. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I had a project with a customer. I was building a search server for them or a small search implementation for them. And I had basically my, my in, inside my IDE, I had a runtime running for like two weeks straight and had never had to restart it yep. while I was doing my program, my testing.
0: I have a suggestion. You have lots of interesting uh, things to say, but we have o- almost an hour. So I will re-invite you back and what I would like to talk with you just about modern OSGI, step-by-step, yeah. step, you know, with declarative services and what it is and what benefits brings to you. But this is complete different discussion. I, I still don't believe that OSGI would be beneficial in any of my projects because I have a microservice which is reasonable, but what I believe, what can happen is, let's say Kubernetes, right? So um, you probably know Kubernetes. This is... Uh, I like yep. Docker, but I don't think Kubernetes has uh, is beneficial in public clouds. In private clouds, you have no chance. You have to do have something you know which starts and stops your servers. Because, but in the public clouds, it does. For me, it is uh, less less appealing. But uh, I don't know what they know. You know the the uh, the gentleman called Romain Manibouko?
1: No, nope.
0: I had I had uh, a podcast with him, and uh, back to shared deployments. He is uh, a uh, Java guy, and he and he uses he writes a server, which is very similar to yours, and uh, he combines uh, OSGi and CDI. And his mm-hmm. idea is to have an application server where every module is isolated with OSGi bundle, so you can you know hot swap the modules very easily. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? So uh, Kubernetes tries to do that with pods but what you could do you could have you know an application server which is which works well and the, and every microservice is an osgi bundle which can be loaded and is very fast and very efficient and this is what i can see so i actually know i it was like instead of using uh, kubernetes which starts and stops uh, the stuff i could actually in the cloud uh, start a, a, a larger docker container with a server and deploy multiple microservices, save resources, save money, and have better better de- uh, development experience. With this, will be a huge advantage of Java. This is interesting, but this is complete different. This is not about modularization. It's more like using you know the isolation and dynamic features of OSGI for deployment. And if you like to listen to it, it's the episode seventy nine called "Back to Shared Deployments." Yeah, exactly. write
1: it down because it, I and, they,
0: and 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 uh, you should ping the guy because he developed something which you mentioned here. And I know him from Java East stuff, so he's really bright guy, and he combines, you know, both worlds. And and
1: interestingly, we actually have something like like this, where we can distribute our system and uh, use remote service communication. And uh, because it when you do OSGI right, uh, it's it's good. You can have it in one JVM, but at a certain point, you realize, ah, I need this part needs to be scaled, needs different hardware, or something like this. You can just pull pull the service out with the jar or the bundle. Throw it in another runtime which is better suited, and have remote service communication. And you always—the only thing you need to do is program against your interface, mm-hmm. as you had been doing before. And you basically wouldn't really need to change
0: anything in your code. Mm-hmm.
1: So, and, and also it, the, we also have this de- deployment and things like this also in there. But yeah, we definitely need to talk more about it. I
0: yeah, think. because for also for the, because now it's uh, too much information. And what I would like to—we could break down, you know, modern OSGI declarative services and what, what we could do with that today with Java with modern Turing. and uh and so so we have a clear view because you know the old way just you know enforcing mod- modules because we would like to be modulars I I don't I I, I don't I don't see this. And um, also there was a podcast with Erin Schnabel of, of Open Liberty and she also loves uh, OSGI declarative services the entire open liberty server is osgi based and they yeah, can I know, I
1: know. Yeah, they I know. can start... developer or one of the yeah
0: developers. this was really really uh, interesting server so it it was yeah. really nice to meet you and uh, i would like to invite you back in uh, next year and talk about you know just about osgi and um, and uh, about modularization but this is a i would say pragmatic modularization now we build server And uh, we can pack more Java stuff on one server with isolated modules. And uh, we can be more efficient with the hardware and resources. So this is interesting.
1: definitely love to be back and uh, you basically gave it the, the best name and this is how I see modularization as well you need, you need a pragmatic manner as a pra- yeah. Pra- yeah. pragmatic view of the whole thing because you you often have this dogmatic views like yeah. I want it to be like this and I don't want to use it if it's like this
0: and, and unfortunately unfortunately all project OGI project I saw in business were dogmatic. This, is, this yep. is my problem. And this know? is the biggest one. It's like Scrum. Everybody wants to do Yeah, scrum, exactly. Uh, the exactly the uh, same. This was... What I saw with OSGI the was the dogmatic. And there was only a few cases, and the cases were always servers. If they build a server, you know, Pyara or Open Liberty, for me, it was clear that they need OSGI. I, because it is very clear that you will need, in one point of time, to have to run, you know, two libraries with different versions at the same time or something like this. This is what server is, is about, right? So, um, but um, nice. So, um Thank you, and uh, I would say I will invite you back and have a nice chat about OSGI again.
1: Yeah, thanks, heaps. <laughs> Looking forward to it.